The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning. And welcome to those here in the space and also those joining us on live stream. I am Reverend Sonia Sukowski, and I'm the sabbatical minister here while Reverend Vanessa Southern is away this month and next. I'm joined on this chancel this morning by Richard Davis Lowell, who's our worship associate, and I want to thank him and also thank our musicians today, special guest Giacomo Fiore playing acoustic guitar, uh, Ben Rudiak-Gold, our song leader, and Reiko Lane, our organist, who you can hear is amazing. Thank you to Linda, Egger, Linda Enger, a trustee on our board, who will bring a few brief invitations in a couple minutes. And thanks to our tech team who are monitoring the chat and available online to help you if you have any questions. That is Shuli Ong and uh, um, Jonathan Silk. I want to give a special thanks to Jonathan Silk, who has such enthusiasm for his job and all the tech things that make us sparkle. Um, I want to thank uh, our sextons, Thomas Brown, Jose Matias Pineda, Francisco Castellanos, and I want to thank Judy Payne for these beautiful flowers, and Linda Messner, our head usher. I'm also grateful to Reverend Laura Shenham, Minister of Congregational Life, who has not only made me feel welcome, but oriented and valued as she keeps so many balls in the air. Thank you. We hope all of you here on live stream and in the sanctuary have an order of service so you can follow along in worship. There are a few tweaks, so you will need it. We're diving deep into how we want to be in relationship this month as people of faith by learning about covenanting in preparation for the last weekend in January. We will be developing a congregational covenant specific to life here at the Unitarian Universalists in San Francisco. The staff, the board, and some groups here have specific covenants for their work together already. And this is a chance to consider the gifts each of you uniquely brings to this work together the needs we all have to feel safe enough to learn and grow, and how to keep faith with these gifts and needs and each other all through life's ups and downs. Welcome to worship. So please open up your order of service and join me as we say the words of our chalice lighting, which have been changed just for this week. It's a little tiny shift as an experiment to reflect our theme this holiday weekend. Those of you joining us via live stream, if you have a chalice or a candle available, please light your own as we do so. Let's say the words together printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the spark of the unique gifts we bring, the warmth of beloved community, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. 
And let us rise in body and spirit as we're able and sing together our opening hymn, number 126 in the gray hymnal, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. to come forward with a special announcement this morning. Thanks, Linda. Good morning, everybody. Really happy to see you. Uh, I am here to talk about the upcoming Interfaith Winter Shelter, which we will be hosting in the King Rooms starting on February 12th, through May 4th. And these last few rainy, chilly days um, 
have really put a fine point on why we need to provide space, especially at this time of year. So this year, the interfaith community is celebrating 35 years of service to the city. But I would say, as much as I celebrate the ministry of local faith communities, I'm dismayed that the city is unable to provide sufficient shelter for our unhoused neighbors. Um, so we step in, and it's a great opportunity to volunteer and to spend time together and to show care for people who really need that human connection. We will be, that is, I and my volunteer cohort of leaders will be out in the fellowship hall after service starting to take sign-ups. What can you do? Well, you can come help cook and serve meals. We will be serving breakfast five days a week, and we have six dates on which we will be cooking and serving dinner. We also need hosts, so when other faith communities come and provide dinner, we need someone here to help them know how to turn on the stove or deal with the coffee maker and to interfaith, interface with the shelter staff who are here. So we need a welcoming presence who's also competent to help those um, volunteer organizations. So there are lots of ways you can volunteer. And if you're not able to volunteer, um, you know, ask, tell other friends about it, invite them. They don't have to be members of this church to join us. So please think of ways that even if you can't come, you can help this important ministry. I made some of my best friends here working in the kitchen together and, uh, and it's always fun and you always feel great after you did it. So uh, one more thing is that families are welcome. You can bring children, um, they need to be supervised and they should be at least eight years old. Okay, thank you, I look forward to seeing you. I want to call to your attention also, especially the um, fact that January is Covenant Month for us, and all of you are invited to participate in a workshop on January 27th, that's a Saturday, to help us create a new co covenant for our congregation. Please register for the event so we can make sure to have enough food for lunch. <clears throat> I believe that, that um, at, at, in today's offering is a special offering to support the UUA's Side with Love campaign. It's celebrating Martin Luther King's life and legacy. You can participate in this celebration by clicking on the link in the order of service to make a donation in support of this 30-day celebration, please remember to add today's date to Vanco or, or your check. I believe that's all we need to bring to your attention this morning. Please take a moment to greet one another and there'll be a, a, a musical cue when you need to return to your pews. If you're on the live stream, take a moment to introduce yourself on the chat.
Good morning, everyone. So I had hoped and I had anticipated introducing our new uh, young adult and membership manager this morning. And unfortunately, I got an email this morning that she's sick. So postponed, fingers crossed, next week we'll have her come up here. She, um, if you didn't see her bio and picture in the flame this week, visit that and you'll get to see her. She's a lovely person um, and uh, I'm really excited about her joining staff and uh, bringing her skills and her gifts as well. So our story this morning is kind of a little different in the story of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Oftentimes when we hear stories about Dr. King, we hear about what he's done and not necessarily about who might have supported him. And this morning's story is about a, a mule named Bell that helped him in his work. So a little boy named Alex sat on a bench outside the general store waiting for his mom. Across the way, there was a mule munching on a bright row of collard greens. Soon, a woman joined him on the bench. The woman turned to Alex and said, myself, I like my collard greens with some ham and spiced vinegar. I was just thinking how much that mule can eat. Alex smiled and asked, is it, is it allowed to eat someone's garden like that? Oh, Belle, of course. She can have all the colors she wants. She's earned it. I let her loose and that's my garden. But ma'am, why do you let the mule eat your greens? Well, son, my name is Miss Pedway. What's yours? Alex, he replied. Well, Alex, Belle's a very special mule. She's a hero here in Guise Bend, and I'd like to show her some respect. What's so special about a mule? Alex asked. You see, Belle's been with us for many years. She was here the day Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to speak to us way back in 1965. Dr. King came to tell us we needed to take the ferry across to Camden and register to vote. Cross the river to freedom, he sang out. He told us we mattered and we had the right to vote. You understand, Alex, back then no black person from Wilcox County had ever dared to vote. Were you scared? asked Alex. I don't think we were scared. Not after Dr. King spoke to us. We felt strong like our mules, and we did just what he told us to do. So many went to register that we almost swamped that little ferry. But we must have scared those folks in Camden, because the next thing they, we knew, they shut down the ferry. The white sheriff wanted to keep us in our place. What did you do next? Alex asked. Well, when it came time to vote, we filled our few cars with as many people as we could fit, and then our mules, like Belle, carried wagon loads of people around the river all day to vote. It took half a day to get there, but it was worth it. We clapped and we sang all the way to town, and folks in Camden were sure surprised. You showed them, Alex said. Is that why Belle's your hero? That's not the whole story. 
when Dr. King was shot and killed, we got a phone call asking if our mules could pull Dr. King's coffin through the streets of Atlanta. Bell and another mule named Ada were loaded onto a truck to go to Atlanta. State policemen tried to stop the truck, but calls were made to the governors of Alabama and Georgia, and it was suggested that it might not be good news if they stopped those trucks. And soon they were able to continue on their way. Bell and Ada bravely pulled Dr. King's coffin three and a half miles through streets full of grieving and weeping people. 60,000 people gathered for Dr. King's funeral. That's why we love our last mule, Bell, and why I let her eat all the collard greens she wants. Dr. King told us that even though we lead simple, hard lives, we were still somebody, Miss Pedway said. And even a mule can be a hero, Alex said. And that's our story. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who we celebrate this weekend, says in a favorite reading in our hymnal, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. There are some things in our social system to which all of us ought to be maladjusted. Hatred and bitterness can never cure the disease of fear. Only love can do that. We must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. Before it's too late, we must narrow the gaping chasm between our proclamations of peace and our lowly deeds which precipitate and perpetuate war. One day, we must come to see that peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but a means by which we arrive at that goal. We must pursue peaceful ends through peaceful means. We shall hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. Hard to believe that was said so many years ago and how relevant it is to today. Those promises we make together to evolve through peaceful means into a more and more beloved group of folks who see each other's wounds and hew new hope for healing is part of why we say this covenant. This covenant developed by James Villa Blake in 1894 for the Evanston Unitarians in Illinois. Many congregations have adopted it as part of their worship each week in the last 125 years. So please join me in saying the covenant, the unison covenant printed on page three in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant 
to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, to help one another. From all that dwell below that cries, let songs of hope and faith arise. Let peace, good will on earth be sung through every land by every tongue. I find myself in the midst of our consideration of covenant and today on the idea of belonging. I'm thinking about my purpose right now, trying to find a way to be in the world that is truly me. After so many years of doing what I needed to do, of finding meaning in my work, my work is a sacrament, I believed, and I kept that phrase close. Today, I'm finding myself at a bit of a loss at what to do next. Retirement regret, an old friend called it just the other day. She said she had serious retirement regret until she got busy. But busy doing what? In my lifetime journey through the immersive world of work where belonging felt as natural as breathing, I'm finding that True belonging isn't just about where I am, but deeply intertwined with purpose. I'm not afraid of the storms, for I'm learning how to sail. I found that under a Snapple bottle cap. <laughs> I like it. And the stormy sea I sail? What is my purpose? Where is it? Why does it elude me? I reach for it only to find it inching away from me, just beyond my fingertips. I love organizing, making neat, putting things away. If you come to my home, everything seems, at first glance, neat and orderly. I have many excuses for that. We live in a small place. The world outside is so chaotic. How can I face it if I don't have order in my own home? All of those work for me. But still, how exhausting it is to live up to that sometimes. The bathrooms won't stay cleaned by themselves. The carpets won't self-vacuum. Entropy, I think it's called. That process in nature whereby things fall apart just by existing. They slow down and change right before your eyes. And like grains of sand falling between my fingers, the present, Time 
the way things were, slip through those fingers, no matter how tightly I hold them. There is one thing, well, two, I'm determined to hold on to. One is that this feeling will pass, and two, that this is where I am supposed to be right now. As I look around, I'm blessed to have these opportunities to bring my whole self to this moment, to this vessel we've created to hold one another, to encounter life and all it throws at us, to be together in all our difference. That's what our UUSF community means to me. And with sincere thanks to songwriter Leslie Gore and the musical fame, sometimes I wonder where I am, who I am, do I fit in? All of this introspection is tough but necessary, and if you give me the space to do that, we give each other the space to do that with one agreement that we hold this space for each other. We consciously hold this space for just a moment. That's all it takes, a moment to reflect on another answer, another way to be in the world. That's sacred. That's what we build here or try to build. Over the years, I've learned those moments are special, a place to be heard, not solved, a time to share without shame, a time to grieve without guilt, a time to be inspired without understanding why, a time to be challenged gently. Sometimes I wonder where I am, who I am, do I fit in? I may not win, but I can't be thrown out here on my own.
Will you join me in a meditation? Let's start with three of the biggest breaths you've taken all day. You might even want to wiggle a little bit as you let that breath out. And I'm going to even take that big breath and shake it out with a sigh. Sigh. You made it. You're here. And as you settle into your seat, notice in your body where you might be carrying a little tension, maybe in your neck or your shoulders. As you exhale, send some love to that place. Feel support for your backside in the seat. And let your breathing return to what is comfortable for you. Give those lungs some appreciation. 22,000 times a day, those lungs do their job. If you are in awe of that as you take some conscious breaths, let out another sigh of appreciation. And moving nearby, how about some gratitude for your heart? Beating 100,000 times every day bringing sustenance and all the nutrients your 36 trillion cells need. This life is miraculous, just sitting here. And all of that is so that the unique talents and skills and perspectives that you have can be here now with us. I'm new. I don't know much about those things that you can uniquely bring to this community to conversations. But I sure want to create space so that you can feel both comfortable and called to learn and grow here. Somebody 
has loved you into this moment. Take a breath to acknowledge all of that care and hope. Perhaps you feel connected to many people who are compassionate mentors, coaxing the best for you and your life and your pursuits. Even with the little bit that I know about you, I see so many compassionate mentors in our midst. What a blessing. Perhaps you have many ancestors pulling for you to be strong, to take your time and work hard and hold to your values, just like Belle the Mule helped the people in Compton. Whether you came here today feeling buoyed by others' love or seeking an important ingredient in the recipe of your life, I invite you to see if you can find a sense of spaciousness as Giacomo plays for us.
the Reverend Victoria Safford was the lead minister at White Bear Unitarian Universalist Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. She's the author of Walking Towards Morning, the 2003 UUA Meditation Manual, and With or Without Candlelight, a meditation anthology. Accepted from her sermon, Love's Conditions, she asks, who carries you in their heart, thinks of you, whether you think of them or not? Who are your people, the ones who make a force field you can almost touch? Who is within your circle of concern? To whom are you responsible, accountable? Whose care is yours to provide? When you walk out of your room, out of your house, into the sunlight of the day, to whom is this wide world, to whom in this wide world do you belong? My answer is, I belong to you, and may it always be so. Early in life, in elementary school, 
I was much less aware of who my people were than who taunted me for my height. As a kid, I didn't have much say in the clothes I was allowed to wear, and those clothes were often scratchy or ill-fitting. It was really hard to get pants to stay up, but also reach my ankles. So I would get teased about my high-water pants, the girls asking, are you waiting for a flood? And that didn't make much sense in New Mexico and perhaps made it all the more hurtful. Perhaps you always felt like your family would accept and love you no matter what. And I certainly tried to be that kind of mom, even getting my kids into first grade when they were five and could read because I hoped they would not get teased for being too tall. But in elementary school, I went to battle with my mom over getting cool clothes not before I developed a philosophy of being tough, telling myself, you can't cry. They will see your weakness and exploit it. I had this loud inner critic coaching me to conform by then, reacting to that need for love and acceptance and belonging from my, classmate, from my classmates. I needed, I needed belonging and my survival strategy to get that belonging was to be tough. And then that inner critic kept me trying not to be affected. To the point where finding clothes is one of the least appealing activities on the planet for me. I could have really used a compassionate mentor to come in and address that need by saying things like, of course you feel awkward when it's hard to find clothes that fit and feel good. You're amazing and I love you just as you are. I accept you. What a gift it would have been to find a compassionate mentor. Instead, I got more of the message to just suck it up. And I'm not sure where this comes from in my lineage, but I know it's still alive today from conversations that I have with neighbors about their kids who are sensitive. Today, I would say, why? Why are we wrapped up in who is or isn't too sensitive? Honestly, that's one of those human qualities that no machine can replace at the moment. If a kid is sensitive to teasing or the suffering of another classmate, another person who's going through something, isn't that a sign of life and loving something inherently human? Sadly, though, that dynamic of wanting to fit in and belong was in tension with this inner critic for far too much of my life. And I often feel like I need someone else's permission to really be accepted. The right haircut in middle school, the Nike Air shoes when I ran track, a great dress for senior prom, mine was dreadful, borrowed at the last minute. And even in college, I struggled for the approval of a professor who I suspected 
didn't care for tall women. Who knows? And it's not that I'm proud to stand up here on the very first day and confess all my insecurities to you. It's to say that even though I was included in a variety of circles and activities, I always wondered or worried that someone else had the power to name or bless my belonging. One reason for developing a congregational covenant so that we can, is so that we can establish that belonging does not depend on someone else's approval. Going back to childhood, my dad was a devout Catholic when he met my mom. And she converted and went to Mass every day when I was on the way. Is it any surprise I'm up here? <laughs> At church in my early years, there might have been a slightly improved sense of belonging there at church versus on the playground. And I don't know if we lived into that unconditional love and acceptance, or if just the feeling of singing together and knowing certain phrases by heart, rising in unison to say them together, created that sense of belonging. I did, though. I had a sense of peace and awe and connection often during services as a kid, especially during the folk mass. Perhaps that sense of belonging came from the fact that our next-door neighbors also went there, and I was friends with Jenny, who was about my age. Perhaps it was the epiphany I had at Jenny's house when I was really young that they had the same program on TV that we had. <laughs> Perhaps I resonated with my mom's appreciation that the Mass had the same liturgy wherever you went, even in Mexico in another language. As I came to understand what all the words meant that we were saying together, there was a dissonance between what I believed and what the church said. I still felt that sense of belonging for a long time, but not a sense of integrity, a sense of belonging within myself. The first time I really felt like I was in a sisterhood, though, was in my 30s when I joined the League of Women Voters. They had chosen sustainability as a study topic, especially water, and that deeply resonated with me, with me living in the desert. There were messages like, many hands make light work, and we have a process to decide together what to work on. And this made me feel like I didn't need to do everything alone, that my questions were welcome, and it was okay to ask for help. Like there was nothing wrong or lacking about not having all the answers. The miracle of finding a community where these compassionate mentors is a, are abundant is that we can release ourselves from just surviving 
and employing our usual survival strategies all the time and really start growing and thriving. But how do you know you belong? I think for some of us, it's a feeling. It has to do with that internal integrity as well as external signs of reinforcement. So, when my kids were being told on the playground that they were going to hell because they didn't know who Jesus was, I knew I had to figure out something for their religious education, and I knew it would involve visiting some churches besides the one I grew up in. I remembered that I had a beloved teacher whose congregation had rallied around him in the time of illness, the Unitarians. At the same time, my husband Mitch had learned from his boss that there were several new families at his church, also the Unitarian Church. It had been a rough week back in 1997 with my kids wondering about Jesus, me without all the answers, which I honestly prided myself on, and also Mother Teresa and Lady Diana had both died that week. We had just moved back to Los Alamos, New Mexico from living two and a half years in England, and, and I had come to really appreciate Lady Diana's work. So her death hit me really hard. I decided to check out the Unitarian Church. And I couldn't believe it when I walked in and I recognized all kinds of folks. There were people from the farmer's market. There was the League of Women Voters ladies. This was my hometown and I had never even known about the UUs, even though my best friend in high school had been raised there. I had one of those moments new use often, often do of being overwhelmed, grateful, in awe, and profoundly moved to find the kind of community that I wanted for myself and for my family. What I found in Unitarian Universalism, in a hit or miss kind of way, was that the community was abundant with compassionate mentors. While I resonated with so many of the beliefs that Unitarians articulated about Christianity at various points, I didn't believe in the virgin birth either, that, communi that um, communion was literally the body and blood of Christ, or that you had to pray to Jesus. Belief wasn't so much of a factor in belonging like it is in so much of the Christian tradition. Our first minister wanted us to understand that there are many beliefs that Unitarian Universalists hold. They might be pagan or Buddhist or Christian or Jewish, and there might be a variety of ways to practice those beliefs. Behaviors such as sitting meditation or having a Passover during Seder or giving something up for Lent. And we don't generally tussle with each other too much over belief and behavior that keeps us, that helps us create meaning and treat humanity in a way that brings out the best in each other. 
What we ask is that we come together regularly to share the meaning we find, to learn from each other and support folks on their journeys, and to work through hard feelings that often come up in life. When you are part of Unitarian Universalism, you share a bond of belonging that allows beliefs to change and behaviors like how to pray or meditate evolve. Because we hold each other in that evolution, learning and shifting understanding of what life means and how we find our place and work in it. As Richard said so poetically, a place to be heard, not solved. A place to share without shame. A time to grieve without guilt. A time to be inspired without understanding why. A time to be challenged gently. At the same time, because we want that openness to evolving belief and ways to practice that belief, sometimes we don't have any guardrails on what behaviors are pursuits of meaning and purpose and what behaviors create unhealthy relationships. Honestly, without going into it all, that question of unhealthy behavior sent me to seminary and has accompanied me throughout my ministry. And our answer to that question of behavior in Unitarian Universalism that creates the space to be heard, to share, to grieve, to be challenged, as Richard put it, is covenant. In our church in New Mexico a quarter century ago, we had approximately the same unison covenant you say each Sunday. It's an aspiration. It's something that we want to live into. And it's hard to know when we're living into it, what to do when we fall short, and how to hold ourselves accountable to it so that we all deepen as compassionate mentors to our children, to each other, and even to ourselves. So I want to thank my colleagues, Reverend Bonnie DeLott, for bringing that reading from Victoria Stafford to my attention, and also to Reverend Stafford for elucidating how it feels to be in deeply reverent covenant with others. Who carries you in their heart, thinks of you, whether you think of them or not? Who are your people, the ones who make this force field you can almost touch? Who's within your circle of concern? To whom are you responsible, accountable? Whose care is yours to provide? When you walk out of your room, out of your house, into the sunlight of the day, to whom in this wide world do you belong? Imagine 
if you knew you could articulate it, you felt that sense of belonging every single time you thought about church. Not as an obligation, but as an appreciation for the sense of growth and understanding and kindness. You knew it in your bones with each interaction. If you have the words for it now, I hope you will engage just as deeply on this topic as if you have no idea what I'm talking about. We are going to be creating a covenant specific to this congregation that names how we want to be in relationship. And we hope Please rise as you're willing and able and sing with me. We laugh, we cry. It's number 354 in your gray hymnal.
lives are full of wonder and our time is very brief. The death of one among us fills us all with pain and grief. But as we live, so shall we die. And when our lives are done, and join hands, touch elbows, or reach out to the wider world to which we will soon be returning that we all belong to. May compassionate mentors pop up in unexpected places for you and all those you belong to. May you create and find places to be heard rather than solved. May you stumble upon inspiration without needing to understand why. May all your challenges feel suddenly more gentle, knowing that you belong unequivocally to this life and are unconditionally loved. Blessed be. Mm -hmm.